0: It is time time once again for another another episode of Atlanta Atlanta Legal Experts Experts Radio, Radio. broadcasting live from the Pro Pro Business Business Channel Studios in in Atlanta.
1: Atlanta. And And now here's here's your host, Emily Rowell.
2: Good morning, everybody out there in Atlanta and all over the world. This is Emily Rowell. I'm with Peachtree Offices, and I am your host for Atlanta Legal Experts Radio Show. We have some great guests in the studio today. We are welcoming today, Bloom Sugarman. Good morning. We've got Simon Bloom and Skip Sugarman today with us. How are you guys doing?
0: Doing fantastic. How are you, Emily? Great. Good morning, Emily. Good to see you.
2: Good morning. And we have Amy Anderson with us from the Atlanta Association of Legal Administrators. Good morning. Good morning, Emily. Thank you so much for being here, and I have Rich Casanova with me. Serious, he's time.
1: here in the studio. Man, I am so excited to hear this dude. Yeah. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, you got a great lineup this morning. Lots of uh, energy. We have uh, our uh, social media gallery has been kicking off uh, some uh, pre-show announcements uh, for this event, and uh, so I'm looking forward to this conversation. Like I, I I don't say this every week, but I do feel a little bit smarter after every one of the Atlanta Legal Expert show. I could, this close to being a lawyer, yes or yes? Yes, absolutely. (laughs) We got some nervous laughs over there, yeah. I don't think so, dude, it's not quite that easy. Uh, All right, No, you want to talk about your sponsors as we kick things off?
2: Absolutely, and of course we have Peachtree Offices, helping attorneys become established in the Atlanta area with virtual offices, meeting rooms, and reception services, and also full-time offices. We also have 3A Law Practice Management, helping you you start and build your practice, and we have Atlanta's own John Marshall Law School. You can find their logo and link to their websites on AtlantaLegalExperts dot com. So that's my spiel. All
1: right. Well, well said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we definitely thank those people. That's we're kind of like. Um, uh, you know PBS for the legal profession, especially for this show in this studio in Buckhead in the Atlanta for their Pro Business Channel, where uh, all of our shows are are uh, funded and made possible by these folks. So we definitely appreciate their uh, their help and their efforts.
2: Yes, we do. We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for them. So I'm gonna go a- go ahead. Hello. Good morning. Hey. <laughs> start over again. <laughs>
1: it's okay. It's just
2: radio, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna go ahead and start with Skip. How are you doing this morning?
3: I'm doing fine. Good, good. Thanks for having us.
2: For nearly two decades, Skip Sugarman has worked closely with clients on sophisticated litigation matters at both state and federal levels. His practice includes traditional trust and estate cases, fiduciary litigation involving partnerships and small businesses, as well as employment cases. Skip is a Georgia State University School of Law graduate, and he joined Bloom Sugarman shortly after its inception and currently serves as the firm's managing partner.
3: That's mostly true.
4: Yes. Well, you
2: wrote it. <laughs>
3: exactly. <laughs> we'll
1: find out later what's not true, but yeah, that's.
2: So let me go ahead and ask you some questions. Um, you focus on well. First of all, how did you get into law?
3: I always wanted to be a lawyer, and for better or for worse, I never considered doing anything else. And I think, unfortunately or fortunately, it's the only thing that I am fit to do for a living. So I never really gave any second thought to it and I uh, was ended up in Atlanta sort of through a circuitous series of events and loved the city and decided that this is the place where I wanted to stay and this is the place that I wanted to have a law practice. And specifically, I always had in the back of my mind, even when I was working at a large law firm, that I wanted to start something and help grow a law firm and s- when I met with Simon for the very first time, I pretty much immediately knew that he shared my vision and had no doubts whatsoever that, that we could be very, very successful. And I'm happy to say that it's been quite a ride, but our story is one of pretty decent success over the last almost decade.
2: Nice, nice. So you focus on these two big words, fiduciary litigation. Can you explain that? What is that?
3: Most people think of fiduciary litigation in terms of, spe- of the traditional trust and estates litigation. Okay. Disputes that arise when someone is towards the end of life or has passed away. Fiduciary litigation also encompasses other types of cases, partnership disputes, because legally the same principles that apply to the administration of somebody's estate apply to a small business or partnership so fiduciary litigation encompasses everything from traditional will contests all the way through partnership disputes i have focused on that area of practice recently recently five six years Mm -hmm. for a couple of reasons one there's a lot of that type of work out there there's a lot of disputes involving families, wealth and assets at the time of death. It's very surprising when people think of wills and trusts and estates and that sort of litigation, they tend to think of super wealthy people, uh, the Anna Nicole Smiths of the world, mm-hmm. but the Emily the, Rouse, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. These days, the reality <laughs> Sorry, is <buddy>. that's okay. <laughs> Most people, when they pass away, pass away with relatively significant assets. And the thing that I have noticed, and I bring this up to clients all the time is when you get towards the end of someone's life or after somebody passes, family members start to behave in ways that are totally inconsistent with the way they've been throughout their lives.
2: It's surprising. It's shocking.
3: It's shocking. And Mm -hmm. until I got into this line of practice, I really didn't understand the extent to to which that happens. So Mm -hmm. there's a great need for this kind of service out there. And... One of the things that I try to focus on in providing the service is to be very cognizant of the fact that these people are in a highly charged emotional situation. And my philosophy is to try to de-escalate that and lead them to a good rational result without unnecessarily expanding what's a very difficult time for them.
2: You say it's very common. Obviously, you said that it's it's everywhere now.
3: It's Amazing to me, the people who call for advice on this, and I'm proud to say that I probably only take about one out of every five calls that I get because I often are counseling people not to escalate something and spend money, throw good money after bad, that sort of thing. That's good to hear. But I would say three out of every five people who call me are working class people people who, uh, who, who their family has lived frugally, mm-hmm. invested well and saved money. And then a sibling or really the most common situation is a second or third late in life spouse mm-hmm. has good. started to act inappropriately with the family's assets, but it's so in terms of your question about how common it is, it really is most people, um, find themselves in a situation where if their relatives don't behave themselves they can find themselves in a trust and estates dispute which as i said used to be something that only happened with the very wealthy
2: now tell me um what are some things that people can do to help protect their trusts and estates
3: so two things really and one point is almost universally misunderstood in the lay community everybody thinks that they need to have a will and you do, you need to have a will mm-hmm. and you also need to have other basic estate planning documents like an advanced directive for your health care and a power of attorney in case you are incapacitated and unable, unable to make your own decisions. But the vast majority of people's assets today pass outside of probate. Your will only controls your probate estate. Your will only controls those assets that do not pass beside, outside of the probate process through payable on death accounts, beneficiary forms, that sort of thing. So when people pass away, they typically have, number one, real estate, their home. Mm-hmm. Number two, they have some sort of retirement savings, 401k or an, or an IRA. And they often have life insurance. And that constitutes the vast majority of people's assets at death. None of those assets pass through, the, pass through the probate process. Really? So your will is completely irrelevant to the three major categories of assets that most people have at death. So to answer your question, the first thing is make sure you have engaged in very careful non-probate planning. Update your life insurance beneficiaries, uh, beneficiary forms. Update the beneficiary forms for your payable on death accounts for your retirement accounts and that sort of thing and make sure your house is titled uh, with whoever your significant other is or whoever you want to have your house at death <clears throat> as a joint tenant with a right of survivorship that allows those assets to pass immediately and without probate. But that's also where most people get into trouble. People who are careful about their estate planning know to update their will when they have a major life event. They're married, divorced, they have a child. Mm-hmm. People very often forget to do the same thing with life insurance beneficiary forms and the beneficiary forms for their retirement K's and stuff. So there are a lot of ex spouses out there listed as beneficiaries yes. on life I insurance. I was going to ask
2: you about that because that's what I've heard several times. And then I was in the life insurance business for three years and that I've heard, I heard tons of stories about that.
3: And with life insurance, you have to be the one that's proactive about it. A good estate planning lawyer will contact you to update, a lot of your planning periodically, but you know, the people that sell life insurance typically don't do that. They figure they've done their service once they've provided you with a good policy, mm-hmm. and they tend not to be focused on succession planning down mm-hmm. the road.
2: You work with financial planners, I'm sure.
3: I do, I do. I most of my referrals come from estate planners and financial planners, okay. and it's interesting to me these days. I've sort of seen a shift in that where more of these disputes are being followed through financial advisors. So for better or worse, when people get into trouble, they seem to be calling their financial advisor and their stockbroker for advice. And um, you know, hopefully they'll lead them to the right person.
2: So you I'm guessing you really do, um, or let me just ask you, do you? Like do annual reviews, um, or how often do you meet with your clients? Are they long-term clients? That's what I'm guessing hearing what you do.
3: So it's sort of the uh, most difficult thing that I have when I am talking to non-lawyers, financial advisors, as an example, about what we do. We, our whole firm, not just me, is litigation only. We don't do any corporate work, and and I don't do any actual estate planning. So I don't draft wills. I don't draft those instruments that I was mentioning before. I come into the picture only when there is some sort of dispute or potential dispute. As I tell my clients often, nobody ever comes to see me when they're in a good place.
2: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's not good. It's
3: usually when the uh, feces is hit the fan. (laughs) (laughs) If they're sitting in our conference room, something has gone wrong. So I don't really have a lot of clients in my fiduciary practice that are repeat clients. They're one off clients. Okay. And the matters that they are engaged in typically are the most important thing going on in their life at the time. Mom has passed away. Dad got remarried. Stepmom is spending all of the money. Stepmom has forced dad to redo his will, cutting the kids out of the estate, that sort of thing. And so, although they're only one off relationships for the most part, I. I'm very aware of the f- importance that these types of cases play in their sure.
2: lives. You're a firefighter, putting yes. out fires. Yes. This sounds familiar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <right? laughs> so tell me um, more about your clients. Do you represent corporations or individuals? or For submit? my fiduciary
3: practice, it is almost all individuals. Okay, And those could be people, the situations I've mentioned before, where mm-hmm. there is a late in life dispute over assets. They could also be someone who is the beneficiary of a trust that is currently being administered and the party thinks it's being poorly administered. They could also be, as I mentioned, people that are involved in partnership disputes and small businesses. So for that side of it is almost all individuals.
2: I see, because you can only represent one side.
3: Well, yes, there are some people who represent corporate fiduciaries, and I have represented people who are acting in a fiduciary capacity, and by that I mean people who are responsible for managing the assets of a trust. Uh, but typically those have been individual professionals like lawyers and accountants.
2: Gotcha. So, um, what, what are some, what is some of your favorite cases that you've worked on? Or maybe not so favorite.
3: <laughs> My favorite cases are of course the ones where we've obtained a good result for our client. Sure.
2: <laughs> good answer. Good answer.
3: <laughs> but I have been fortunate to represent some really amazing people and represent them in very, very difficult situations. I had a client years ago whose parents, as they fit the model I described before, they didn't make tremendous amounts of money, but they saved Mm -hmm. and they lived modestly and they accumulated some very nice wealth for their family. They had two kids. Uh, The mother passed away first and the father remarried, and he remarried someone who had made it her life's work to go from widower to widower, uh-huh. and basically drain the family's assets. Wow! And she had actually done this two or three times in this family's synagogue. So out of oh. one congregation, she had had two or three late in life husbands, and had taken you know life savings and sort of spent it on fancy cars and furs and that sort of thing. And I got into that case very late in the game. And um, the bad news was that she had done most of her damage already. Hmm. But we were able to find one set of assets, some retirement accounts, and we were able to successfully get those away from her and provide at least some legacy to my clients. And that, that was a very fulfilling case.
2: That's huge. Yeah.
1: So, just want to remind our listeners listening to Atlanta Legal Experts uh, Radio, and um,
2: Skip Sugarman is here with us today. I, I'm telling you, it's <laughs> it's like um,
1: these are things that you don't think about every day until, like you said, until the, uh, when they come into your boardroom or have a conversation with you, it's um, it's the most important thing they're dealing with. And there's but there's so many moving parts because we just think about that individual, but the ripple effect throughout their family, and that story that um, I mean that you think by the the second person in the synagogue somebody would have caught on to it right (laughs) but I don't know how much of that is shame on you
3: you know right well in that case I happened to, by necessity spend a fair amount of time with the spouse who did this and and she was a very charming person yeah so you could understand how she targeted these men who had lost their wives and she had a very deliberate game plan Wow. and it goes back to what I said earlier where I didn't really believe that this stuff went on i right. really thought this was the stuff of movies. movies and tv yeah but it happens very very often wow.
2: sounds like people listening could actually give you a call you know that have a situation that's like that um or any of the ones that you've mentioned in the interview um so i'm going to tell you to tell us how people can reach you and then we'll go over to simon and talk a little more about the firm
3: you can learn a lot about our law firm through our website which I was just recently redone it looks fantastic Yay. and right. there is a whole subsection in there that deals with fiduciary litigation and my contact information is there and I welcome anybody to give me a call as I said I spend a fair amount of time on the phone with people who don't end up hiring me and I'm happy to do that very often that is the best avenue for them and I can't promise that I can solve your problem. I can't promise that I can take care of these very difficult issues, but I can promise that I will always listen to what you have to say and try to give you the solution that makes the most economic sense. Because at the end of the day, for what we do, our whole firm, we can't vindicate you. We can't undo all the things that your evil stepmother did. (laughs) All we can do is economic reallocation and, it's a pillar of my practice to always keep that in mind when I'm trying to talk to a prospective client.
1: Or at the very least let people know what their options are, what the reality is because I think a lot of it's probably just the unknown. Mm -hmm. You know, you're you're kind of in this situation and you feel like you've been taken advantage of uh, as a family member or that you uh, missed out on uh, some opportunities that were due to you, but you don't really know what your, you know, what your rights are or how much you can undo or, you know, plans moving forward. So, I mean, that you're willing to kind of take a phone call and just maybe potentially walk people through, here's where you're at, and if it makes sense, we can move forward on this, right? Happy to
3: do it. Okay. So what Um, is that? the website and the phone number? So that is (laughs) www.bloomsugarman.com. Okay.
1: (laughs) As he glances over
3: at the uh, marketing uh, guru here. yeah, (laughs) And we are at 404 577 seven seven one zero perfect and i saw years and years ago when, when when voicemail was first coming out this guy on the today show was doing a thing about how to leave voicemails and he always said leave your phone number twice oh so, absolutely 404-577-7710 four oh four seven 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 good job all right well well done yeah yeah, <laughs>
2: yeah and we are listening to atlanta legal experts radio brought to you by peachtree offices 3A Law Practice Management and Atlanta's own John Marshall Law School. Again, go to com to find all the information on our sponsors. And we have Simon Bloom also with Bloom Sugarman. Good, Good morning. morning.
0: Good morning.
2: I'd like to talk a little bit about the firm, how it started, and then we'll go ahead with your interview afterwards. Um, so tell me about the firm, how it started. And I love the name, Bloom Sugarman. I mean, that. <laughs> That was not on purpose. Did y'all
0: make that up? Or, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you like that name. There was hours and hours of debate around that name at one point <laughs> of our bet. evolution, and I'm glad it's finally been vindicated. Sugarman uh,
2: Bloom. <laughs> there was
0: an advocate for that that order of the name. <laughs> right, yes, there can, was. Is the coin toss involved, or dinner, <laughs> or arm yeah. wrestling. Oh, okay.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, congratulations, yeah.
0: Uh, BS Law. That the only BS <laughs> oh, is oh, in our body. name. Oh, that's not anywhere video. else, unless I'm talking, of course. <laughs> um, well thank you guys thanks so much for having us uh, sure. it's hard to follow my partner he, he is an expert on the on the subject matter and I'm very proud of him and what he's been able to accomplish we we started the firm um, in 2007 I was a partner at a large law firm in town and was very heavily involved in real estate disputes and litigating and trying cases in the real estate space obviously Atlanta's a real estate town and will be forever And so there's always no shortage of real estate disputes and folks with money that have to fight those disputes, which is important. I decided that it was time to take that show on the road, and I got uh, uh, an associate of mine and our secretary at the time, and we went out and got some office space in the Equitable Building. Favorably, most of my clients went with us, and we started the firm on a Wednesday, and by Thursday I was up and running billing time and handling depositions and going to court. Fantastic. It was a great deal attributed to our firm administrator at the time who was able to get the firm up and running so quickly and seamlessly. And I didn't, I didn't miss a beat, and we were cash flow positive in a couple of months, and we we well, never looked back. We need to talk to you after the show. Yeah, how'd you make that happen? Yeah. <laughs> well, it was not <laughs>
2: or during the show. That'll really be a help for the people listening. Yeah.
0: It was folks like Amy and Brent that make that happen. Uh, uh-huh. I had absolutely nothing to do with it. I just kept my head down and kept trying to develop business and, and go out and win cases for our clients. And that was the the fortuitous circumstance that came next was the real estate crash. And so we went from 2 lawyers to 10 lawyers in about 2 years because all of my clients that were in the building and developing industry who hired us for more vanilla real estate disputes were now being sued by their banks oh. mm-hmm. for tens of millions of dollars. Wow. And they needed a warrior to save their business but to save their house and to save their car and to so save their college funds. It was a good time for us our our business is very market inelastic as long as people have money and want to fight they're gonna we're gonna have something to do and so that happens when times are good and it happens when times are bad Mm -hmm. Uh, we are what I like to think of as an elite Navy SEAL team of trial lawyers that can jump out of helicopters in almost any kind of case and take care of business and that's what we've been doing for eight years
2: and Skip joined you when
0: at the end of 2007, so in the first eight or nine months of our existence, we were fortunate enough. It was Fantastic. like a Hanukkah Christmas present for Skip to come. <laughs> he was wrapped under the tree. We opened it up, and seven years later, here's, here's the managing partner of the firm.
2: And, and just as a s- successful, if not more,
0: since. Absolutely. It's been, a, it's been an amazing evolution. That real estate downturn was a catapult for our success. We were the premier firm in town handling debtor work for developers and builders. We litigated and resolved over $1.1 billion of personally guaranteed debt. Wow. Th- that's someone's name signed on the bottom line promising to pay back a $5, 10 $15, 20000000 million loan. And we litigated those cases nonstop for five years. We resolved wow. all $1.1 Wow, that's crazy.
2: And the you know, the it affected everybody either in a negative or a positive way, but I feel like every time I tell or I hear a story about what happened in 2008 right. to somebody, it it always ended up changing their life but for the better. Like at first it was terrible, but then they ended up doing something great instead. It actually did the same for me.
1: Yeah. Um, I'd probably in the in the same category as well. I heard something recently that said uh, change is good, you first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right
2: well i'm going to go ahead and read uh simon your bio for you um with a unique focus on the real estate industry as he's described simon provides advisory counsel and litigation support to builders developers property owners and brokers throughout atlanta and the u.s especially his his experience hmm, includes legal challenges involving eminent domain zoning and land use issues contract disputes partnership disputes and IP litigation. He's a graduate of University of Virginia, where he earned both his BA and JD. Simon is very active in the community, having served in leadership roles in the boys and girls club of Metro Atlanta, where he's been active for nearly 20 years and the Marcus autism center. He has twice been appointed by governor, Sonny Perdue to the governor's commission on public service and Vol- volunteerism. And he just completed his term as chairman of the state board of the department of community affairs.
0: Wow. All true. Yes, <laughs> that's good. I'd like that's your good. colleague. Yeah. <laughs> All true. Mostly true. All mostly, factual. I like that one, mostly true. That's yeah. right.
2: <laughs> so um, tell me how you got into law when you first started.
0: I was a budding country music singer, and that didn't work out for various reasons, and decided that the only other thing that I could do would be to try cases um. Actually, my great-grandfather was a lawyer. He went to the University of Michigan Law School in 1904. Wow. And my parents and grandparents begged me not to be a lawyer. They begged me to do (laughs) almost anything else I could conceive of. I was too squeamish to be a doctor, not smart enough to be an accountant, and so I ended up being a trial lawyer, which... I'm barely smart enough to do that. I can't even spell fiduciary, which is why Skip <laughs> handles that fiduciary <laughs> litigation. Right. But I, I can so understand t- dirt. Right. Uh,
1: it's like trying to spell entrepreneur, yeah. But the um, country music singer, right?
0: Absolutely. So you're going to revisit that career uh, You've every got a morning. a microphone in front of you. Every <laughs> morning. You tell me what you want to hear, I'll give it to you right now. The listeners will really wake up to some Johnny Cash. Well, we'll see if we have time later, Yeah. <laughs>
2: um so since i was five i've been here since i was five and i see buildings i've seen the state bird which is the crane um yeah. all kinds of construction all around the city what does this mean for builders brokers agents anybody in the real estate in industry and what are some trends that you're seeing
0: well it's hard to believe that it was just seven years ago when we had the the, the crash and let's not undersell it it was in fact a crash and like I said earlier, a town like Atlanta that is so dependent on the building industry and the development business and the transactions that go along with it suffered immensely. And the reverberations made their way out to every everyone that you can imagine. Uh, and and this town has rebounded. And I can proudly, I had nothing to do with it, I assure you, but I can <laughs> proudly declare that we, we have rebounded as a town. Uh, we, our clients are, are back building houses and selling them like hotcake hotcakes, both in town and outside of the perimeter. Fantastic, And that generates a lot of economic development, a substantial amount of new jobs. The money that's being infused into that sector of this market has been amazing. I fear that it may be a little bit uh, outkicking our coverage and that as a result, we are going to see a correction mm-hmm. of some sort. I don't think it will be anything on the scale of of the catastrophe that we saw in two thousand eight. There were, it was just a perfect storm, mm-hmm. but I do I do see that there was so much cash sitting on the sidelines for those five years, and it's now been put to work in all the buildings that you're seeing, all the houses that are popping up, and that's been great. Mm-hmm. Um, but but what I'm seeing is some of the same signs that we saw that led to all the litigation for the five years between oh eight and thirteen, uh-huh. and that's and so your question is what what are the trends when when people are blowing and going as fast as they are right now people make mistakes mm-hmm. and when mistakes get made in real estate transactions it creates work for me
2: I think they're, they're they were excited to come out of the, the the crash and so it's like they almost went like you said above and beyond because they're just like wow we can build again Yay!" you know and so they maybe have went a little too far and so it may just take us back a little bit but you're saying that not definitely like the crash
0: no no and you have to look at some of the fundamentals, and I'm by no means an expert in in economic projections or, or prophecies, but I can tell you that with the population growth in, this, in the metro Atlanta area and with the infusion and addition of more jobs and economic development, which I was so fortunate to have witnessed firsthand at the Department of Community Affairs on how economic development really has been working and working for the state of Georgia – As you see that population growth and increased economic development and job creation, the necessary result of that chicken egg debate is real estate development, more malls, more buildings, more houses, more transactions, as long as we are careful in those transactions, there won't be the kinds of disputes and fallout that we had in 10, 11 and 12. So that's really the issue.
1: Once again, just want to remind our listeners you're listening to Atlanta Legal Experts uh, Radio. Uh, Rich Caston over here, and just a um, quick kind of follow up question. Yeah, I'm no expert by any means in that arena as well, but just from the perception is that um, I mean, we, I think the consensus is attributing the crash to, in addition to the the cycle and the overbuilding, but uh, there was a lot of uh, questionable deals and people being greedy and you know um, in, in the um, real estate and finance industry. But <clears throat> do you? Are, are you hinting at um, not a crash but a correction in the future on the horizon, based on probably what overbuilding? Because we do get kind of aggressive or you know greedy, because it's, it's human nature. You know, if people are writing you checks; you're going to build more
0: more stuff, right? I, I think you're right, Rich. I think that what you've seen is we did learn some lessons from the 2008 crash, and the banks have gotten more responsible. The regulatory agencies have gotten more responsible lending has tightened which it should be right absolutely yeah it was absolutely a part of the crash it was, was the regulations and and greed all the way yeah, around right, right. everybody nobody's everybody. insulated from that i agree but what you've got now is a lot of money coming from off the sidelines going back into the game and if you can get a loan and you can get the equity to d- develop a 50 to- a 50 story tower you're going to do oh, it oh yeah and then that's let the chips and let the chips fall where they may. After that, deal with it later.
1: You know? Exactly, that's just you know unfortunately part of human I nature. On a different topic, um, you mentioned about eminent uh, uh, eminent domain and uh, IP litigation. Any stories come to mind, or I'm kind of intrigued by both of those uh, areas of specialty?
0: Absolutely, eminent. Eminent domain, for for all of our listeners, is obviously, or not so obviously, the process by which a public agency or an entity cloaked with eminent domain power takes your property, takes part of your parking lot, takes your house, takes the family farm. Now, they have to pay you for it. The the, the state or the county or the agency has to pay you for it, Uh, but it is the process by which they take property and use it for supposedly a public purpose so the, the classic example is they they need to run transmission lines through your farm and they take a 150 foot swath goes right through the middle of your farm and they have to pay you for that and the, one of the there are two debates do they really need the transmission lines right that's the public necessity issue and the second issue is how much is that dirt worth and and so those are the things that we litigate so my favorite case is it was in jacksonville florida we went and tried a case in Jacksonville. The, the, the Jacksonville Port Authority, and if you're familiar with Jacksonville, the, the river runs right through the middle of it, and it is a major part of the commercial center of Jacksonville. Well, the, my client owned a 100-acre piece of property on the river with phenomenal wow. access, wow. and it's all industrial. So you know, that If you've ever seen pictures of the Jacksonville Jaguar Stadium, it's right on the river. Yeah, for the shipping and all that. Exactly. Yeah. They've got container terminals, cruise ship terminals. It's all industrial. My guy was going to build a coal terminal on the hundred acres and he was going to bring in the big boats full of coal unload store and there was rail on the property and wow. the trains would come in take the coal take them out it was awesome perfect yeah well so the, so thought the <laughs> the port authority because they decided that they ought to do the same exact thing so what they did was they decided to take the hundred acres through the process of eminent domain they condemned it and we found in discovery the process by which you exchange documents in a piece of litigation A Memorandum of Understanding, an MOU, that the Port Authority had with our competing coal company, Drummond Coal. Wow. So the the deal was the Port Authority was going to steal it from my guy and then lease it to our competitor. (laughs) I'm not making this up. (laughs) And they said they condemned it. And they did...
1: how do you base it? Condemned, and then you're going to use, use it.
0: it. Yeah. Well, don't don't misunderstand the the condemned. word condemned. The con- condemned is not when you put boards on the door. That's a different kind of condemning. Right. But
1: I, I, the perception is it's like uh, there's something yeah. foul about that. No, property. no, no, okay. no.
0: Condemnation in this context Uh, is just taking a piece of property Uh, Uh, when you've got a health code condemnation. That's that's when the property is no good or flooded or full of mold and you knock it down. This is just taking a piece of property. (laughs) And in this case, it was taking it from one coal company and leasing it to another coal company. We fought that case for two weeks in Jacksonville. We had a retiring judge who decided that the local guys were, would ought to prevail. And the guy that owned the dirt, my client wouldn't. So we lost, believe it or not. I know I've lost a case. (laughs) All those out there, if you ain't losing, you ain't trying enough of them. Uh, But we did lose, and ultimately justice was served because the rest of that, like I told you, the rest of that case is how much did the the Port Authority have to pay for the dirt? And that went to a jury, and the jury didn't like it, and they said you've got to pay $75 million for that piece of dirt, and the Port Authority said we don't want it that badly. And so ultimately— They oh, didn't wow. take the so dirt it did work out Dang. It did work out, and the port authority had to pay my clients' attorney's fees. I would have taken the seventy five million but uh, I don't know I just <laughs> so that was a fun case that was
1: that was I fun. didn't know in the dirt, so don't, you know, nobody asked me yeah it,
0: it was a it was an easy call it, that was the, the the fun part of that case was of course, um, being on the Hannity and Combs show, which was Hannity and That's Combs fantastic. back there okay, yeah, yeah, because if you remember that was back in the times mm-hmm. where the eminent M&M domain issue was incredibly hot and the Supreme Court had spoken on it. It just seemed like they were overstretching their bounds, right? I mean, because who can question? You can't really, uh, the old adage,
1: fight City Hall, right? I mean, once they put their hands on it, uh, so be it.
0: I'm the guy you call when you want to fight okay. City Hall. All right, nice. That's basically <laughs> that what I do. That should be part of your.
1: Hey, that's, that's on your, your website. Yeah. That should be on your website, yeah. Brent, let's let's
0: put that on the site. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: I'm the guy call, you call when you want oh, to fight C- City, City Hall. Hall. <laughs> it even rhymes, yeah. Okay, hold he on. I'm going to get that. that I'm going to register that
1: just a second. Let's, <laughs> add,
0: that to, let's add that to my singing uh, list, yeah. the set list for later. <laughs> that
1: sounds like a country requests? song.
2: Yeah. <laughs> So you're you we're not really talking about zoning, but let's get into the zoning. I know that that can be challenging when you're doing like a commercial project or um, building a house. Um, how do you help builders and de- developers navigate those issues?
0: We we have seen a huge uptick in permitting and, and land use and, and rezoning as a result of the market coming back. The five years of the downturn, the zoning the zoning area, and in fact the eminent domain area were very very quiet. There weren't budgets to take property. And there wasn't money to develop, so there was no reason to go through rezoning and permitting. But I'm a huge believer in one who, one gets to do with one's property what one wants. And that bumps up against city, county, and state regulations that limit that which one can do with their property. And that's where you get rezoning and permitting and land use regulations. So what we do is assist mostly developers and builders in taking a piece of property that they see as one thing and wanting to develop something else on there and requiring a change in the zoning designation, a change in the the classification for the property. And we go through that administrative process uh, with cities and counties around the state and, and, in fact, around the southeast. That process is mostly administrative. There are usually hearings, and there are usually three or four main constituents that you need to deal with. One is the neighbors, every piece of dirt has neighbors whether the neighbor is one mile away or 10 feet away and they are going to have a voice in what you put on your piece of property for better or for worse the second of course is the staff within the city or county in the planning department that's responsible for evaluating what you want to do and make a recommendation and the third is either the city council if it's a city or the county commissioners if it's a county and then you the property owner is really the fourth and so what we do is to help to navigate around those different constituencies to facilitate the approval of whatever the rezoning or variance that you're trying to get. And with the, with the explosion of new municipalities in metro Atlanta, you've got what I would call a little bit of dilution of true land development talent and familiarity in the different cities. Right. Mm-hmm. Because this is not something that 's necessarily intuitive that you learn in sixth grade civics class, sure, so we 've had to develop relationships with more and more cities and counties and their departments as, as this has moved forward every time another city pops know, up
1: yeah. since Sandy Spring kind of started that was that was about twenty five years in the making though right, and then it 's just uh, the floodgates open yes or yes, yeah absolutely
2: <laughs> that 's a lot well the, to do for the for your client
0: just think about it the state of Georgia has 159 counties every county has its own County Commission it has its own sheriff it has its own planning department and now we've got several hundred cities and with the advent of every one of these cities you've got another police department you've got another planning department another zoning administrator another mayor
1: all the facilities yeah
0: which makes for much more complication when trying to get things done
2: and a lot more people that you have to deal with
0: a lot more people
2: (laughs) Uh, let me just ask this. Oh, did
1: you have a question? I was just wondering about Buckhead the, uh, <laughs> to become a city. I've heard uh, um, for quite some time that's likely not to happen. Uh, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that or perspective, but um, from my understanding is is that it generates 40% of all the tax revenue for the city of Atlanta. If if Buckhead were to become a city, virtually flip of a switch overnight, all, all that, you know, Atlanta would, I mean, it sounds crazy, but, um, but when I heard the... The uh, presentation on that—it's like literally, Atlanta will become bankrupt overnight. One of the major cities in the entire country.
0: Yeah, th- that's that is a very ticklish and difficult yeah. situation, and and I I frankly think that the time for developing more and more independent <laughs> municipalities is done, okay. and, and and I think that's and as you may or may not know, that really goes through the state legislature where that has to happen. Right. But I think that we have a responsibility to look beyond our own neighborhood. Right. And so if our tax dollars are going to benefit other people right. in the in the city, yeah. that's okay. Yeah, yeah, I agree. You know, that, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm a single guy with no kids, and I pay an awful lot in property taxes. My business pays a lot in, in, in uh, ad valorem and business license taxes. I'm not using any of the schools, right. but yeah. I feel like that's somewhat of my civic duty to be able to put money into, those, into the public sector right. for that. So I, I would... I would not like to see buckhead become its own city for those kinds of reasons yeah i think most people are on that same page yeah
2: speaking of buckhead where are you located
0: our offices <laughs> are in a wonderfully restored old building in the virginia highlands on okay. ponce okay. Outside right that. right outside of the virginia highlands on ponce and about the corner of ponce and north highland close to any of those taverns there or um? walking distance <laughs>
1: nice
2: <laughs> and you you mentioned jacksonville florida you represent people all over the country
0: yeah. we've been fortunate enough to be brought into cases in all corners i tried a case in las vegas about two years ago had a case in san francisco a year ago we we just tried a case against a company in israel so we've been like i said seal team seven nice (laughs) we jump out of the helicopter whatever town we need to and we go to work That's a great visual, yeah.
2: Well, you did a great job representing your firm. I would hope you would. (laughs) I concur, yeah. Which is expected. Um, If you'll just remind our listeners how they can reach you.
0: Yeah, the easiest way, as Skip said, is go to the website, which is www. Are you supposed to say that anymore, www? Everybody knows that. It sounds kind of southern. It depends on how you say it. Triple dub. Yeah, there you go. Nice. BloomSugarman.com, and the phone number is 404 577 7710
1: what was that about the
0: the the bs um, (laughs) the only bs is is in our name
1: i was thinking a good thing you weren't named son of bloom yeah yes that's right Right. okay let's talk about the uh let's get serious down to business uh once again um really enjoying this show um uh and so rich casanova again producer engineer for atlanta legal experts just want to do a shout out do they still do shout outs or yeah a <laughs> dot <laughs> uh, so shout out uh no but uh Peachtree offices uh where our studios are located in the beautiful view of our million dollar view of buckhead and uh, you can check them out for all of their uh, virtual as well as physical office service meeting rooms all that good stuff 3a law practice management uh, for everything regarding to your startup to a uh, 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 whatever size firm that you have And of course, our friends at Atlanta John, Atlanta's John Marshall Law School. You can find all their information on the website, Atlantalegalexperts.com.
2: Thank you. Good job. You're welcome. I put you on the spot there. Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) And I'm going to welcome, last but not least, Amy Anderson to the table. Hello. Good morning.
4: Good morning. (laughs) Thank you for being so quiet.
2: (laughs) It's probably hard to get a word in with those two. I was enjoying (laughs) that, actually. I mean, I'm
4: around a lot of lawyers, but they did a great job. Right. So
2: Amy actually began. She is. She's with. She's representing the Atlanta Association of Legal Administrators. And she began her legal career in '94 at Greenbaum Dahl. Did I say that right? Yes. And McDonald PLLC in Louisville, Kentucky. She has served as the Human Resources Director of her current firm, Constangy Brooks Smith and Profit right. LLC. Yes. Or LLP. Sorry. Since 2002. Wow. I passed.
4: Her role at Constangy, it's it's so hard to say. I know it's it's Constangy, Constangy. Um, and and we kind of are known as the Constangy firm in many in many arenas. But I know it's hard to say, so I thought I'd just let you know there. Thank (laughs) you, Constangy affords her
2: the opportunity to interact regularly with employees of all levels in different parts of the country, which she thoroughly enjoys an active member of the aala the atlanta association of legal administrators now for over 12 years amy appreciates and values all that the organization has to offer in terms of education and networking opportunities amy is a native of memphis tennessee and is a mother of two children meredith is attending the university of alabama and john david a freshman in high school in her spare time amy enjoys watching college sports cooking traveling and reading yep awesome Thank you for being here. This I'm happy morning. to be here. So let's talk. First of all, how did you get into the Atlanta Association of Legal Administrators?
4: Well, it is um, it is the known organization for people who do what we do, what Brenton and I do, and what um, the people who work at Bloom Sugarman do. Um, it's been around for 45 years. Um, has nearly 10,000 members worldwide, representing 30 countries. Um, and we, the members, are involved in the day-to-day business of managing law firms. So when Skip and Simon talk about being able to start their firm and be up and running in three or four days, that's because of the administrators that are working there. And so it makes my heart smile when I hear them say that, because that's what, that's what I strive for every day, is to make our lawyers feel the same way, that all they have to do is worry about practicing law. So um, it's, it's a, a very well-known organization in that regard. So, it's the power behind the throne. Yes, exactly. The, throne. <laughs> the quiet power behind the throne.
2: <laughs>
4: so, um, tell me a little bit more about what the group does. Well, um, we are um, primarily a place for people um, with the common responsibilities. We network, um, we learn, we share ideas, uh, we also promote best practices. Um, ALA also offers a certification program and um, it sponsors a lot of educational programs. In fact, in the next few months, we'll have programs on topics like what law firms need to know when they're leasing new space, um, how to choose the right professional liability insurance, how to have the difficult conversations with attorneys and staff who might not be meeting expectations, and how to create a positive environment for um, the LGBT employees. Um, another thing we do is promote the business of our business partners, and that um, is, is a really fun part of, our, our, of what the organization does. Our business partners are vendors that are both nationwide and local. They support our chapter, they support law firms, they provide services, and um, it's, it's a really wonderful partnership that the organization has with these vendors. Um, in fact, this in November we're having an event just with the business partners at Top Golf here in Atlanta oh, right. to really just thank them for everything they do for us. And um, I think they would, if they were here, tell you they get a lot from the from the organization that's as wild. well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then finally, what we do is we have fun. I mean, uh, we go to a lot of these events and. Brent over here in the corner can tell you, we, we have a good time. I mean, it is not a boring organization. These are people who um, have big personalities and lots in their heads. So, you know, we make a good time out of it. I, you know, I hear a lot that, you know, sometimes as a legal administrator in
2: a big firm or even in a small firm, you cannot feel like you're su- being supported a lot. Correct. You could just kind of have the whole world on your shoulders because everything's on you Right, as right. far as the whole administrative side. But you could feel completely alone at the same time. So it's what the organization does, like help
4: support the people. Um, I'm fortunate. I'm in a larger firm. So we do have an HR function, an IT function, Mm -hmm. a marketing function, and, of course, the whole accounting side. But many of the people in ALA do not have um, those separate departments. They wear all of those hats. Mm -hmm. So um, it is particularly helpful for the administrators who shoulder all of that on their own. Um, because people in ALA are collaborative. I mean, they share ideas in a way that um, I, I would not have guessed that they would. Um, it's, it's amazing, really. And how
2: can you actually become a member if somebody wanted to do that?
4: Well, um, you can go to our website and co- contact any of us, the board members. We would be more than happy to welcome you to one of our chapter meetings, show you around, um give you any information that you want. Um, We are very welcoming. We welcome anybody in the legal community who thinks that they could benefit from being part of the group.
2: And tell me, um, so what benefits would they get from the organization?
4: Well, I think that primarily what we do is provide a place to share ideas and find out how other firms are handling issues that all of us deal with on a daily basis. In my firm, uh, what happened to me most recently was um, we noticed that a lot of the incoming women into our firm want to know how we're handling maternity and family leave. Mm. So that was something that we wanted to look at and see how can we make it better? What are other firms doing? Um, I went to ALA. It provided me the forum that I needed to see what's happening out there. You know, what's what's the trend? Mm -hmm. And with that information, I went to my executive committee and it helped me to revise our policies.
2: So what is your role exactly with the association?
4: I am the director of communications, so uh, I'm learning as I go, but primarily what I do is try to promote the organization through social media, uh, through shows like this, um, because we really feel like the more that we have, uh, you know, the more people we have in the organization, um, the better we are. I mean, we are going to have strength in having diverse members and people from every field in the legal community to bring ideas to the table,
2: so your chairman knows that it can most that it can cost money and time for employees to join this group. So, what is what is the chairman going to see um, the benefits to the firm of having people involved in the ALA?
4: Well, our chairman Neil Wasser is uh, very supportive of our um, membership in ALA, and I say our because there are several members at my firm who are um, involved. Um, he said many times that he does not think law firms will be successful, successful operating in a vacuum. So he encourages us to be very collaborative, um, and we engage with our peers. We bring back ideas that help make the firm run more efficiently. Um, it increases the firm's visibility because we're out there and we're, we're visible. Um, we make sure that we have the technologies and benefits that allow us to be competitive in the legal mar- marketplace in Atlanta and um, all of these things help help us drive a healthy bottom line. I love that.
1: All right, Rich Casanova, once again, listening to Atlanta Legal Experts radio show. And... Um you're listening to uh, some professionals as well as uh, folks uh, here in the studio. But quick, just follow-up question. You mentioned there's 10,000 members around the uh, world yes. in 30 countries. You ever get to any of those other 30 countries? No, or, uh, <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't
4: been able to go there yet. I, maybe I should come up with a strategy I that know. the communications director needs to travel. Yeah, yeah you need
1: to uh, have <laughs> you an have event to communicate right. yeah. all over
4: the world. Oh, right. Yeah.
1: But um, uh, what, how many folks here in Atlanta?
4: We have about 230 members okay. here in Atlanta, and we represent yeah. about 170 law firms so a lot you know a lot of different perspectives are involved
1: well that's actually kind of my question is getting to when you represent that many law firms obviously like any other business they're competitive but where do you draw the line in kind of collaboration versus being competitors and you know uh, kind of sharing information which can further along you know help them along as opposed to like trade secrets
4: right Um, (laughs) and you know coming into this 13 years ago, I kind of wondered that because I thought, how do people really, really be honest with each other if they're competing? Um, And what I've realized is people in ALA are very collaborative. Um, They realize we're all in the same boat. We're all rowing in the same direction. um, And that by sharing ideas and best practices and discussing our challenges, that in the end, we're all working toward a healthy legal environment, which benefits us all. It's that old saying, if you look good, I look good. And I really, as I've grown in my profession, I do, that is such a truism that, you know, the more everybody shines, that we all shine together. Um, and for, for my firm in particular, it's been a benefit. Um, all of those, the, the functional directors are members of ALA. And this year alone, um, we've opened three new offices Um, We've brought in more than 35 attorneys and grown our support staff by 20%. Um, Had I not had the collaborative efforts that are given to me by the AALA, you know, I might not have been on top of my game in that time. I mean, we run a pretty lean staff, and I don't have 15 people in HR that I can draw upon to onboard all these people and whatnot. So um, I think that, you know, we were able to handle that fast-paced change at our firm because of the support we get from the group. That's fantastic. Right, yeah.
2: So tell me, if somebody, again, is listening and they want to become a member, how would they find out about you? What's the website? Please, yes.
4: The website is myaala.com. On there is, you know, definitely a contact button. But if if somebody wants to call me directly, I'm happy to have the phone call and tell you a little bit more about the organization. And could either of you speak a little bit towards the organization
2: to just say how it's supported your firm?
3: So, Brent has I'm been
2: working. Skip,
3: w- the, yeah. skip, yeah. Remember, no comment is not an option yet. <laughs> Brent started working with the group shortly after he started working with us, and most of the innovative ideas, and processes, and that sort of thing that we have instituted. Uh, since Brent has been running our law firm, I think have had some sort of connection with the organization. Wow! And he goes to regular meetings and goes to a national convention every year. And we always see some benefit from the administration side. Simon mentioned, or Emily mentioned, that I'm the firm's managing partner. And with Brent and the support that he has, it's a very, very easy job because they really do take care of everything. And what Amy said is 100% true. We can't do what we do without the infrastructure behind us. Sure. And every minute that we spend having to deal with something that's not the practice of law is a loss of revenue. And so the way that this organization trains and empowers administrators to help the business of a law firm is is very good and very positive.
2: I didn't ask you, uh, Amy, the local meetings, how often you meet, where do you meet? So somebody may want to come and just check it out right
4: we meet um, every month we have a monthly chapter meeting and we have a speaker at that event we serve lunch um, and usually they are the meetings are held um, in various uh, convention areas here in Buckhead and downtown um, we don't use the farthest north we go is the Cobb Galleria area um, and so they're they're easy to get to uh, compared to where most of the law firms are located mm-hmm yeah and all that information is on yes website. yes yes and and people are anybody's invited to join us at a chapter meeting at any time
1: well feel free to send me an invite for the top golf event right? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right so um uh any uh, closing comments here we're just about a uh, couple minutes left uh maybe just real quick um around the table I'd like to find out what do you all do when you're not uh wearing your lawyer hat uh what kind of motivates you inspires you when in your downtime you know, travel. Besides
2: or, singing. Yeah.
1: So, no, we, actually, we got time for a tune
0: or two. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: that would yeah. be the first on Atlanta Week. <laughs> I
0: hear that train of coming. <laughs> it's rolling around the bend. I ain't seen the sunshine since I don't know when. How about that? Oh, that's wow. Awesome. That's
1: nice. How about a round of applause <laughs> for that? Yeah, yay, yeah. I like yay, that. Yay, yeah, yay. yeah, yeah.
4: All right. So there's this
1: exit strategy right there for the firm. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I thought <laughs> it was great. Good,
2: yeah. yeah. I think that's a good wrap up right there, don't yeah, you? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah.
1: All right. So, um, uh, once again, thank our sponsors and everybody making it possible for Atlanta Legal Experts. And uh, we'll see you next time on the radio, right?
2: Yep, this is Emily Thank Raul you again for joining Emily
3: Rowell and
0: her guests yep. on, the on the Pro, Pro business, business, channel. Channel.
1: Use use the business Channel. Use the social media links here to share today's, today's show. show. And stay, and stay tuned, tuned for, for the next episode of Atlanta Legal, Legal Experts, Experts Radio. Experts radio.